See, it's contagious. I know many of you are coming back from different parts of the world uh, after holidays or after school breaks or after this. So when I look out and I see your body language today, uh, I see about half of us kind of more like the... And you know what? That's okay. Because honestly, that's how I feel right now. I'm not feeling real great. But here's the thing. When we understand who God is, remember, God is love. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, right at the top of your notes, it says it. God is love. Even if we don't really understand what love is, which I would posit that our world today struggles to know what true love is, and by the end of today, I believe you can tell people what true love is, and if you can't, you're not listening. I promise, because all I'm doing is telling you what the scriptures say today. But here's the thing. Even when we don't feel like it, we can still live lives of love. One of the most important things we have to understand about true love is, in the words of the great band, I believe it was Styx, love is more than a feeling. It is a very way of life. And so the beginning of our message today starts very simply. Long before we get to 1 Corinthians 13, we get to creation, I know, that's like way in the very front of your Bible. And we hear this, we get to read of this conversation that God allowed to be revealed to us, where God in three persons says, let us make man in our own image. Why is that so important? Because even before humanity was created, fellowship and love existed. There was a unity together in how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit interacted one with another. Now, I don't have years to teach on the Trinity today uh, because it would take that long. But at the very basis, we know God in three persons is working in unity and in love. And he's interacting with him I know it sounds weird, but trust me as we follow through the thing. So God in three persons says, let us make man in our own image. And man is created. And we're told that man is the very image of God. We carry his image with us wherever we go. You move on. God sets apart a special people to make his name great among the nations. They were set apart. They were supposed to look different than the rest of the world so that the rest of the world would see God and be drawn to them. Unfortunately, when they were given the Ten Commandments and when they were given the law that was meant to bring freedom, the law that was meant to show there's a better way to live, a way that gives right relationship, a way of real love, they chose to often follow the ways of the world. And by the time you get to the kings of Israel and then the divided kingdom, the kings of Israel and Judah, you read sentences like, this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This king did the wrong thing in the eyes of the Lord. Time and again, they knew the right way to go, but they went the other way instead. They chose to love themselves in the ways of the world. The problem was, Israel was called to be the very image bearer of God to the rest of the world. Everybody had been created in the image of God, but there was a special people, a people set apart for him that were to show the world who he was. And Israel wasn't doing it. 
And in the process, God saw that this would not happen. And he ordained that he would send his one and only son down to earth to become fully man and make his dwelling to live with us. Think about that. God. Whatever you think about God, uh, A.W. Tozer, as I've said each week, is the most important thing about who he is in our lives, what we think about him. And whatever we know, most of us, if we are in church, would believe that God should or is very powerful, right? Most of us would agree with that. Now, we often can differ on all sorts of other points, but here is God in all his glory and all his might sending his only son down to earth, Why? Out of love to bring people back to himself. Out of a perfect love to pay the ransom price for our sin, our rebellion, and draw all people from all tribes, all nations, all tongues to bring them, to invite them back to himself. You see, Jesus, this person, this son of God, fully God and fully man, walking the earth without sin. He never made a mistake. And in so doing, while he did it, he showed the world a love that both speaks with authority, that isn't afraid to call people out when things are wrong, and at the same breath sits down with the sinner and says, there's a better way, and let me show you how. There was compassion, there was strength, there was kindness, there was conviction. They weren't opposites. They were together showing us we can live in this world and make a difference. Not only that, but Jesus was making the way for us to be set free from a sinful pattern of life. Because we've all sinned, all of us. But he loved us so much that even though he knew what was coming, even though he says... Father, if you could take this from me, the micro's version says that would be great. But not my will, but your will be done. Out of love for you, I will obey. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. But death couldn't hold him. We sing the song, death could not hold you. And it didn't. Jesus rose again victoriously and in so doing, the price had been paid for our sins. And in so doing, we were given this miraculous new lease on life. While Jesus had walked the earth, he said time and again that we are to be a people of love. He looks at his disciples, those that were closest to him, and he said, you know how the world's going to know you're set apart and you're mine? By how you love each other. And then he looks around and, and somebody tries to get him in a, in a little bit of a trap and they ask well, who's my neighbor? And he tells a story. And at the end of the story, he then goes in to say, you know what? The greatest command is this, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he had added to that. And then he says, and all he's doing is quoting the Old Testament and bringing it into current times, something we can learn from, by the way, Deuteronomy. And he brings it in. And he says, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not one or the other. If we love God, Jesus is saying, you will naturally love one another. From the image of God, at the beginning of creation, 
all the way through to our mission to gather together, to grow in love for Christ and for one another, to give of our abilities, of our resources, of all that we have, and to go through whatever door the Lord might open that we can show the world they are valuable and they are loved. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. We can be set free. We can live a different way. Not because you and me are so good. Just out of curiosity, and this isn't on the big super sin scale that some of us have in our heads. How many of you already today have done something you wish you could take back? Don't raise your hands, by the way. Just think about that for a second. Already today, just by... 11.42 in the morning, you've already wished your attitude was different, your words were different, your fill-in-the-blank, something was different, and you're like, right? We ever feel that way? Why? Because we can't do it in our own strength. But the story doesn't stop with Jesus paying the price for us, because before he goes to the cross, he says, I'm going to give you another more powerful than me, and he will be with you to teach you to counsel you, to show you when you're in sin, and to bring you back into right relationship. You're not losing your salvation, but we're going to draw you closer and deeper to God the Father through Jesus the Son by the power of, at that point he called him a counselor, we now know him as the Holy Spirit. And we've been given, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us toward big love. We can't do it on our own. That should be the most freeing statement you could ever make. What do I mean by that? Well, my uh, family tends to be very creative. Me, not so much, especially if it means working with my hands. And years ago, my family wanted shelves hung throughout the house, right? Should be a great thing. I have now hung approximately 12 to 15 shelves in our home in different parts. You know how many of them are straight or stayed up? Zero. I have failed time and time and time and time again. So much so that I was away recently and my wife hired somebody to come hang shelves. You know, but real love says that there are things I can't do. But he can do all things. Now, I'm not asking for the Holy Spirit to help me hang shelves, although if I so desired, I bet you he would. But we look so often at people in our lives and say, I couldn't love them. I couldn't possibly deal with that situation. And the Holy Spirit is looking at us and saying, We're not a- I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to let me give you the power to walk through that journey. And that's where we pick up 1 Corinthians 13. Because the Apostle Paul is looking at a church, probably much smaller than us, and probably a group of house churches, not just one church, but a group of churches throughout the area of Corinth. And he's giving them some strong words that when you get together, you're all thinking about yourselves. You've all been given such wonderful gifts but you're all using them for your own purposes and your own honor and your own glory. And he's saying, come back. And when you come back, you will understand that real love brings together, not divides. 
And when you come together, you will understand that the love of Christ compels us to live a different way. What do I mean by that? Real simple. How many of you, again, I'm going to try to be interactive today. Do you guys like your days off when you get a holiday? Yeah? The rest of you that aren't raising your hand are liars. (laughs) We like our holidays, right? So when they come, few and far between as they may be, we don't naturally go and try to help other people, do we? That's not our first thing. Yet, let me show you a picture. Look at that. Hey, some of you recognize yourselves. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't ask permission to show this. On their days off, these men and that woman, and I think there was a couple more, or one more, nobody's uh, giving-ish. Anyway, they got together. Why? Because they like each other? Well, I think so. I hope they like each other. But that's not the reason they got together. The reason they got together wasn't because they're super wonderful in every way, which they are. They got together because Joyce and Henri Samatu and their family are moving back to Hong Kong for a year. And their flat that God has miraculously provided needed furnished. But to get that furniture from point A to point B, people needed to be willing to love. Not because they're super qualified and amazing, but because they had two hands and two legs that could move things from point A to point B. The love of Christ compelled them to serve. Joyce and Henri aren't even here yet. So they couldn't get at the end of the day, hey, good job, you really saved the day for us. No, they did it out of love for Christ. It's not that we're just super talented and gifted. It's we love Jesus so much, we'll walk wherever he opens the door for us to walk. We often say, well, I'm not qualified to do that. None of us are. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So, Christ's love in us empowers us. The love of Christ gives us the power through the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but he lets us see the world different. And I use that picture from Serving New Sight because that's what they're in the business of doing, helping people see the world, maybe for the first time, that have gone blind. But for us, as we depend on the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to His Word, as we depend on the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to our neighbors, as we depend on the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the world around us, We don't see it in terms of anger and malice and wanting others to suffer. We see it as a people in need of the love of Jesus Christ. And it changes how we look at the world. And it draws us together to say, I want to be a part of making a difference in this world, but I can't do it on my own. We can do it together as the family of God. And how does that start the most powerful lesson we can give to a broken world is one of love. Paul finishes talking about the spiritual gifts and what they are and their need to work together as one body. So if this is just all on its own, it looks funny. But when this works together, I can move across, I can walk over here, I can do different things. 
And he's saying those gifts, those abilities, those resources should be used for God's glory. And now I'm going to show you an even more excellent way. Not just because you can do stuff, but because at the core of who God is, he is love and he has invited us to love as he first loved us. So what is love? You ready? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. You know what? Some of you are already doing it, so let's just all read these together. Is that okay? Let's back up. You've all heard it at weddings, right? And so now we're going to look at it. Starting with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if you look at that and you break it down, you realize there's more negative statements of what it isn't than positive statements that what it is of what it is. And so I thought, well, how do we try to explain this? Because most of you know what most of those words in English mean. So I'm not going to go the Greek, it meant this, each one. I'm going to trust that at the basis, we understand kindness is a virtue. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, In Galatians, Paul gives us these fruits of the Spirit that are directly connected to love. As the Spirit of God is at work in us, it compels us to live out this life of bearing fruit, both personally, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think I got them all. As well as bearing fruit by who are we bringing with us in discipleship, in growing to be more like Jesus. It's two sides to that, individual and corporate. And as we do those things, we are living lives of love. What does that mean? Well, if you look at it, this sounds an awful lot like one of the worst things ever invented, a standardized test. Do you know what a standardized test is? If you grew up in the educational system, either here or in most countries, you get to certain grade levels and you have to take this test that everyone in your grade has to take, right? In America, right before you go to university, they're called the SATs, or maybe you take the ACTs, same general idea. In Hong Kong, maybe you took the GCSE uh, or a bunch of others. In China, you have this super hard one. I can't remember the letters for that one, but you get the idea. There are these standardized tests, and every standardized test I've ever seen that's written in English has this section in it called the if-then statement section. Do you remember those? If A happens, then B, right? You have it in your science section, you have it in your social science section, and in your English section, and the worst is even in your math section. I never liked that. But if you look really closely at these verses here, we see a series of if-then statements. And so I want us to look at the text more like that today. So here's where we start. And by the way, you need your sermon notes so you can follow along. Uh, Some of you just take pictures of the screen. That works too. Uh, I I like to write stuff down physically. That's how I remember it. But what I want us to do 
is I want us to see what we can glean and learn from this. First off, if love is patient, we're not going to be easily angered, right? Does that make sense? This is not rocket science. This is about as simple as I can make this. If we're patient, we will not be easily angered because the opposite of being patient is easily upset or angered, correct? What, Mike, how does that play out in my life? I don't tell anyone I'm angry. The Lord knows. Your heart knows. And in that, it affects how you interact with other people, even if it's hidden deeply inside and our emotions are well-guarded. The invitation to patience isn't at surface level. It's at a transformed heart that depends on the Holy Spirit to help us to walk with people wherever they are. There are many things that try and test our patience. So far in my season of life, in the years I've lived, Nothing has been more testing of my patience than becoming a parent. Now, maybe you're different and it's been really easy for you as a parent. But for me, there are days when, and my children will gladly tell you this is true, where I am not always patient. Or maybe you go to work and you've got a coworker, a supervisor, Somebody, and there is just such an easier way to do this. This isn't that hard. Yet time and again, you run up against this wall and they make things worse or more difficult or just a difficult environment to work in. On your own, you will push back or your jaw will lock and there will be an anger welling inside. A life compelled by the love of Christ, depending on the Holy Spirit gives us patience to keep walking. He doesn't even say it's going to be easy. None of this Paul is promising is easy. He said it's a joy to walk in love. And he says it's a challenge to say, Lord, here's all my life. You can have it all. You can make me patience. I've said it before and I'll say it again, that you want uh, to... to Pray a prayer request that I guarantee will be answered every single time. Pray for patience. And within moments, you will get the chance to practice it. I have never found that to be untrue. The minute I pray, Lord, give me patience, somebody cuts me off, somebody does something, or things in my life suddenly go a different way, and boom, I get to practice what I just prayed for, whether I wanted to or not. I meant just change it and make me more patient. I didn't let say make me practice. But love, the love of Christ compels me to live patiently. Why? Because God was so patient with me, he gave me his son who knew no sin to become sin for me and pay the price for my sins and then invite me back into fellowship with God out of his love. I can't do it because of my love. I can do it because of his love. Which leads us on to the next one. If I'm not patient, I'm not going to be kind. But if love is kind, I'm not going to be dishonoring others. 
Think about your conversations. Are they rich with kindness when the person is there, but then when they leave, you have a whole different things to say about them? When we're not together, is our language as fruitful as when we are? Or is it very easy to be critical of how much they should know that we already know? See, again, it starts with patience. These don't have to be sequential, but they do build on each other. When we are patient, we get to look for the best in people. And when we're looking for the best in people, it allows us to walk with them in kindness. Because again, the kindness of God led me to repentance. The kindness of God showed me that I don't deserve his love. He gave it anyway. It's called grace. And that same kindness that gave grace to me can be given away. And so when somebody doesn't do things the way I expect, maybe I should manage my expectations and say, Holy Spirit, give me your kindness. Because who knows what that person needs in that moment. These are simple, simple truths that the world desperately needs. If love rejoices in truth, we're not going to be delighting in evil. Many movies you see today are based on the concept of revenge. They don't always say that way, but the bad guy gets what's coming to him and by the end their heads are blown off or they meet somebody new and everything is better. But the truth of God is absolute. The love of God, agape, self-giving love, is an absolute that can never be rewritten. His love is eternal. It doesn't redefine itself as culture changes. And so as culture changes, we're not delighting in exalting sinful behavior We're instead choosing to walk with people while begging the Holy Spirit to soften and transform hearts. I don't have to like the condition of the world I live in right now. I have to, by the love of Christ, do everything I can to point people back to himself. I shouldn't be glad when wars break out and bad people are killed. I should pray for their salvation. And I should be willing to go wherever he, met, wherever he leads. There's a group uh, that was founded by an American couple. And, you know, often we, we love to hear stories of charities that do great things and had this great vision. And they go off. And from the very beginning, Hudson Taylor knew it was China or nothing. But there's this couple that felt like they should go to Iraq. And, you know, they didn't really know why. They should just go and see what they could do to help out. And they were young, and at that time, uh, they didn't have children, so they figured, let's give it a shot. And they were doing things and helping different people. And then they realized one day, uh, the the man was sitting in a coffee shop, and I believe it was uh, Baghdad or somewhere around that area. And a man came to him and said, please, sir, if there is any way you could help my niece, is in desperate need of medical help that we can't get here. And he looked at it and he said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Isn't that easy? It's the easy answer. A couple days later, he was in the same coffee shop and the man came back. And this time with the little girl that was dying of congenital heart 
failure, congenital heart disease. And that man was struck because he said, if I am compelled to love as Christ has first loved me, shouldn't I be knocking down every door to find a way to help? And out of that, a movement called the Preemptive Love Group was formed to give love away. And in so doing, they have provided heart surgeries. He is not a doctor, by the way. He's a fundraiser, essentially, that has provided medical care to some of the most war-torn, difficult places in the world. Instead of looking around someplace like Iraq and, see, and saying, see, look what happens when you run away from God. You people were the center of civilization. He looked at a broken people and he said, I want to help. I'm not going to delight in evil. I'm going to jump into the darkness and let God's light shine through me. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. And he and his family and the team have been able to tell stories of the truth of God transforming lives. That's what love does. When he is at work in us, he transforms lives. If love always protects, just like we heard of that story in that family, we're not going to be self-seeking. You know what? If even these first three, if love is patient and kind and rejoicing in truth, you know what will happen at times? We will be inconvenienced. We may not fit everything into our schedule to do our stuff because our road took a detour to live a life of love. If you look back over my planning of what I expected my life to look like by the time I was 40, you know what was nowhere on the map? Hong Kong. But the love of Christ compelled me here and now you can't get rid of me. And that's not because I'm superhuman. We just walked through a door and we've just kept walking through the door together ever since. We're going to protect each other. That's what the church is called to do. That's what the elders themselves are called to do. And we're not going to seek our own glory. We're going to seek, hey, look, there's about 200 of us in this room. Wherever we go to work, wherever we go home, how can we love well there and let the world see we're a little different and protect those in our spheres of influence? How can we protect those that may not have any other hope? We're only doing what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. And we're trusting that God would work in miraculous ways. If we trust that he will work, if we trust that he will work in hearts, we won't have time to envy what other people have because we'll be too busy celebrating how God is using them wherever they are. It's a subtle difference. But often, especially in church life, we can get real caught up saying, you see, if that person, I'm not pointing to anyone in specific, so don't, don't look at the finger, please. If that person did that, then AIC would be in much better shape. Remember what you learned as a kid when you point? You remember that? Where do all the other fingers point? Back to yourself. So quit saying if that person and say, Lord, I am going to trust you. Here's the other thing, especially when it relates to leadership. And we've got leadership developers in the room. We've got trainers. We've got all sorts of amazing leaders in this room. And it's very humbling to be in their midst. But one of the most difficult things for a leader to do is to trust people to do things the right way. 
Because you know what? When you give something away, they may not do it right. Or, or they may not do it the way you would have done it. Has that ever happened to you? It's very difficult when we empower someone to try something they've never done and then let them walk through that journey and who knows what they might learn. Amazingly, God loves us so much that he gave us a compelling call to love the world, knowing full well that we fail on a daily basis. But his grace and his love compel us to trust, to see the best in others, to give them a chance to follow where God leads. Just preaching the word of God isn't going to transform everybody in this room. When we walk with people and give each other the chance to serve him wherever they are, you'll see lives transformed as we teach people to depend on the Holy Spirit. Former youth group member uh, and writer now, uh, Jacinda Robinson wrote it this way, And I loved it so much, I stole it. She said, don't get me wrong, ministry work is awesome and should be supported generously and acknowledged. We often say that only those qualified are the ones that should go along and do all these jobs because I don't even trust myself to do it right. She's saying no. She's saying, but you aren't more Christian or more loved by God by doing his work full time. A holy led or a spirit led life in whatever career, wherever you are, is the real gem. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. This is something we can do in many different careers, roles, and places. We can trust God that he can use us no matter where we are. If your corporate attitude is that you cannot speak of God openly, great. Let your love tell the story of his great love. If you've never talked about him or shown people that kind of love before, now's your chance. Trust that God can work in situations and lives in ways you couldn't see coming and see what he does. If I were to ask Mr. Yu, you think GID will be around and have grown uh, tremendously in 18 years' time? He probably wouldn't say yes. I don't know, but I don't think he knew what was coming when he first took that trip to Kaiping. But, he already said it, so he stole my thunder, but God. Love trusts that God will lead us and that he will invite us to trust others even though they might fail and the results be left with him. We're not going to seek our own comfort and our own security. We'll seek to rest in the arms of the Father. Finally, if love always hopes, we'll have no time for boasting and pride because we're always asking God to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. We're always asking him to keep going. Keep going, God. Keep using. Let us be a tool of yours. Keep leading us forward. Keep helping wherever we are in life. Please keep us moving forward more toward your great love. When we do that, we don't have time to say, look at how far I've gone. Look at what I've done. Look at how great and powerful and mighty I am and how many people know me. Nah, we're too busy saying, okay, Lord, how would you use me today? 
How might I be your tool and instrument today? No time for self, just time to love. Finally, if love perseveres, that's a, that's a special word in, in, in my book because I, I love it and I think it's something the Christian faith has not valued very much these days. We often, when things get hard, we quit, we leave the church, or we just back off. When it comes to perseverance, we take a different approach, and it's a passive one. But throughout the scriptures, especially when Paul writes, he time and time again says, we will press on, we'll keep going. It's a marathon that we will run faithfully. We will be faithful. If I'm Paul and I'm in prison and I've been beaten, I'm probably saying, okay, that's good, I'm good, that's enough. And instead, he's singing hymns and praises to God so much so that everybody in that palace guard eventually came to know him. It's different. That's persevering. Even though there was a struggle in his physical body, he kept going. If love perseveres, if love keeps going, if the Holy Spirit enables us to keep going, we're able to let go of the victim mentality. They did this to me so I don't have to keep going and loving. It is a huge epidemic in the church because we look around and we look at each other and they did that to me, they did that to me, they did that to me and we just build up a bank and it's a savings account. We save up everything everyone has wronged us by. And you know what? It infects us. And it doesn't allow us to give anything away because we're holding on on. We've put that in our vault and we've locked it up and those wounds begin to define us. And those wounds keep us from interacting with other people because they've hurt us. And so we just back off. And then we just fill a seat in church and we don't actually enjoy communion and unity one with another because we're too busy thinking about how others have wronged us. By the way, Paul isn't saying we concede that sin is here and we make allowances for sin. That is not his point at all. His point is we deal with sin. We walk with people that are sinful. And when that sin has been dealt with and when we've walked or when we get the chance to give grace away, we will give the same grace away that we have been given. We will let the Holy Spirit convict hearts. We will let Jesus be the judge. We will point people back to him. We can give grace and deal with sin. But as anybody that's been married has learned, bringing up something, some wrong from 10 years ago does not ever help, does it? No. And Paul is saying you want to grow in unity? You want to show the world a better way? Press on. I was talking with somebody recently about hiking, and he and I have a very similar style of hiking. We look at a mountain, we take a deep breath, and as long as it is in our power, we don't stop till we get to the top. Why? Because every time we stop, it takes so much more energy to start up again. Our spiritual lives are the same way. When we stop, when we get stunted because we've deposited more wrongs into our savings bank of who's wronged us, it's really hard to get started again. If we press on, we don't have time to keep track of people's wrongs because we're busy taking another step toward Jesus Christ. 
walking with the Holy Spirit and living in his great love. So what do we do now? Well, we get to walk together. I loved this yesterday, and Carmel uh, already shared this story. This isn't all of us. There were 41 people at Hoiha Beach yesterday enjoying each other. And you know what? A lot of them didn't know each other. And what a privilege it was to be introducing. Uh, I came from a very long meeting that morning, and I just sort of wanted to sit. But everywhere I went, there was new connections being made of, hey, I just met this person. I didn't know they went to AIC. I didn't know they were there. And instead of all the ways that things had gone wrong, people were celebrating and enjoying being together. Isn't that what the body of Christ is supposed to be about? And if it's at a beach, that's just even better unless you're super white like me, and then it's not so great. So what do we do? How do we move into this sort of environment every day of our lives? Well, first off, your homework. You know I was given it. We finish here. Read 1 Corinthians every day this week. You knew it was coming. You got at least one more week, and hopefully it's become a way of life. Second, ask God to open your eyes to a world in need of his love. Lord, help me see the world like you see the world. That's what love, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. If God is love, give me his vision. Then, make time to commit, commit at least one act of kindness this week. Oh, man. But Mike, you just picked out one, one of those fruits of the Spirit. I know. Because the next one we'll get to. But our world needs kindness doesn't it? No matter where you are, big or small thing, you can be kind to someone. It can be a little thing. It can be a miraculously large thing. Many of your schools that your children go to or have gone to have random act of kindness days. Well, if the world has figured it out, maybe we Christians could do it not so randomly but consistently because love is kind. Third, now this one's wordy, so just bear with me. Discover two new points of connection with someone in your circle this week. Often we'll try to be kind to a stranger because then we don't ever have to see him again, right? Easier, less threatening, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm getting it, I'm, I'm digging in deeper and deeper. In your circle, that can be family, coworkers, friends, you got the idea? In that circle, two points of connection that you can at least say, I did not know that about them. Why do I say that? Because it means you've made time to listen. It means you've made time to dig into their life rather than just telling them what you're all about or talking about your work or your family or that. We can all do that. Or to say, man, it's really hot today. Well, you think? Of course it is. It's summer in Hong Kong. So let's go deeper. Two points of connection that you've never known before. Learn something new about them. This will take work. This will require you to ask more than how are you doing? I am fine. Isn't that fun? And all the introverts in the room are like, no, Mike, please no. Oh, and then I'm going to make it even more complicated. I'm sorry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pretty strict on this point. This does not mean a text. Okay? So you don't get to hold... The, look at all those. I could respond to all those and say, hey, look, I, I asked them questions. They didn't respond. I tried. 
No, you know there's a feature on this that allows you to speak to people? It's amazing. This row of teenagers, did you know it works that way? You can actually talk to humans? Talk to someone. Even better, buy them a tea, a coffee, a latte, a frappuccino, something. Just get together with someone. And don't just say, hey, my pastor says I need to know two new things about you. (laughs) Don't play two truths and a lie. But dig into their lives. Hey, how are things going with and fill in the blank? Tell me about your and fill in the blank. And see what happens to your heart when you get to know more about someone and what that does to your relationship with them. It's really easy to keep records of wrong when we don't know people that well. Yeah, when people we do know well hurt us, it is tough. I get that. But this is an invitation, an invitation to love out of the love of Christ who gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us to love in big ways. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. So good that you created us to love. And so as we go out today, may we go out with great enthusiasm, with great joy, and with great excitement to love as you have first loved us. We need you to do it. We cannot do it on our own. So please forgive us for those times when we try. May this week be different. May we live in your love and give you away. Amen.